May God speak to you through today's message from Pastor Ryan Loxmo. Well, good morning. Welcome to Parkway Fellowship. I hope you all had a great uh, Fourth of July weekend, and I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, you know, the United States is truly amazing. Um, and if you follow a lot of Americans' family trees, uh, eventually you'll find a story like that of uh, somebody uh, leaving and coming to the United States uh, for a brighter future. Uh, I think about my great-great-grandmother who came from Ireland by herself uh, to work in the mills in New England, and she would send money back home and eventually brought one of her sisters over, and then the two of them worked, and they brought another sibling over, and eventually all of them came over, and they had a much uh, better life here uh, in America. And, and only in a country like ours are so many stories like that possible. You know, on the 4th of July weekend, we celebrate the Declaration of Independence, uh, when the American colonies wrote the ultimate breakup letter uh, to England and said that we are no longer subject to the British crown. And what's interesting about that is we still had a war to fight to make that a reality. Did you ever think about that? In 1776, when uh, the American colonies said, we are no longer subject, George Washington had yet to win the Revolutionary War in 1783 to make that a reality. And so this was not an easy thing to declare independence. I mean, that meant that war was coming with the most powerful nation on earth. And so it took a lot of bravery uh, for our founders to issue that declaration um, and to face down tyranny and show courage in the face of overwhelming odds. And it was a little bit of a similar situation when the church got started. Um, Jesus uh, had ascended into heaven and the early church was just getting started and they faced a lot of obstacles as well. And so both with the Declaration of Independence and with Jesus ascending into heaven after his resurrection, those were both the start of something. The Declaration of Independence in this country was the start of something, not the end. Now the title I chose for this message is Our American Opportunity, uh, because I believe we stand right now in a very important historical moment, uh, both in terms of world history and church history. And if you kind of follow both of those timelines, you'll see that we're at a very important intersection in history, and understanding what that intersection looks like uh, will help us to know where we stand and exactly what God is asking us to do. So let's talk about America first for just a couple of minutes. Um, for centuries in Europe, before uh, this nation came to be, uh, kings and queens ruled, and they ruled by divine right. And what that meant was, uh, the view was if you were a king or a queen, you were a king or a queen because God put you there. You were sort of God's representative on earth. That was the basis of your power. So there was this mashup of government and religion. That's just kind of the way it was for a long time. Monarchs ruled because God put them in charge. And these kings and queens often made very strict rules about religion and how you're supposed to do things, and, and they would imprison people and many times execute people if you didn't believe the right thing about God. And it went, went on like that for centuries. And the American colonists did not buy into this idea that King George, way across the ocean, was you know, God's representative on earth and he had the right to boss us around from all the way over there. They didn't buy into that. And they had seen the damage that can be done when the government kind of meddles in religion. And they wanted to be sure that nothing like that European monarchy type system appeared on this continent. And so when they finally did win the Revolutionary War and put together the Constitution, they wrote these words in the First Amendment. They wrote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Now, it's pretty remarkable that the first words of the First Amendment to the Constitution 
are about religion, of all subjects that they could have touched on. It's about religion. It's about the freedom to do what we are doing right at this very moment. They knew that there should be no mix-up with government and religion. There should be no uh, government-endorsed, official government church. They never wanted that to happen. Uh, Here's an interesting little historical tidbit. Um, Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, and then he wound up becoming the third president of the United States. And when he was president, uh, he got a letter from some Christians in Connecticut, and they were talking about the freedom of religion. And uh, in one of his letters to them, he used the phrase separation of church and state. And that's actually where we get that phrase. That phrase is not in the Constitution. It came from this letter. So look what Thomas Jefferson wrote in this letter to some Christians who lived in Connecticut. He said, Believing with you that religion is a matter which lies solely between man and his God, that he owes account to none other for his faith or his worship, that the legitimate powers of government reach actions only and not opinions, I contemplate with sovereign reverence the act of the whole American people which declared that their legislature should, and he's going to quote the Constitution here, make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And look how he finishes the letter. Thus building a wall of separation between church and state. You see, uh, Jefferson and our founders understood that the government should not restrict religious expression. The Constitution was actually designed to protect religious people from the government, not the other way around. And so while uh, social media and cable news might make it seem like the sky is falling and our right to express our faith as Christians is like being taken away in this country, I have to tell you, it's really not. That, that, that really is not happening when you look at historically uh, what the Christian experience has been throughout the centuries and around the world today. But look, our founders looked at history and they saw that anytime the church got mingled with government, abuse followed quickly after. I mean, countless examples through history. Uh, the Spanish Inquisition being one. Uh, if you didn't believe the right thing about uh, Christianity, you'd be put in prison and killed. Um, uh, today, any government that basically gets involved in religion and makes strict rules about it is abusive. North Korea, China, Iran, places like that, Saudi Arabia, even when there have been times in history where a government has said there's going to be no religion, abuse has followed. Think about Stalin and the Soviet Union. That's what they tried to do. But we live in a country, America, the freest society ever, anywhere, a country that from the beginning has said the government is not going to restrict religious practice. And that freedom that we enjoy every single day was established and is maintained by the United States military and the people who have served in that military. And many of you have served in the military to uphold those freedoms. And we can never, never forget that and take that for granted. So from a world history perspective, we stand in the freest society ever in terms of our ability to live out our lives as Christ followers with little hindrance. Okay, so that's one timeline. That's world history. What about church history? I'm just going to make a couple of quick comments. In the early church, uh, the early days of Christianity, it was really hard to be a Christian. I mean, in the Roman Empire, Christianity was this brand new religion. People were suspicious of it. And the Roman emperor was viewed as a god. And so Christians were routinely persecuted. And, you know, they would die in the gladiatorial arena or they would be imprisoned. And the Roman authorities would round up scriptures and burn them to try to put down Christianity. And that was the experience of the early church. But over time, over the centuries, the church kind of caught on and ended up becoming so powerful that it got tangled up with government. And by the Middle Ages, ironically, 
the church had begun restricting who gets to read the Bible. And so by the Middle Ages, you had a situation where if you couldn't read Latin, if you weren't a priest or a scholar, like you couldn't read the Bible. That was not on the table for you. And then this really cool German monk named Martin Luther came along in the 1500s and said, that's not right. And so he, at great risk to his life, by the way, translated the Bible into common German, because he was German, so that average people could read it. And that sparked a revolution that became known as the Protestant Reformation. That's where the Protestant church uh, came from. And now the scriptures are available in thousands of languages around the world, and we, as Americans, have the luxury of being able to read the Bible in safety, in our own language, whenever we want. But it was not always that way. So why do I tell you all of this? I say this because when you look at world history, we live in the freest society ever for the practice of our faith. And when you look at church history, it is not dangerous for us to be Christians in America. And we can read our scriptures freely and meet together like this whenever we want without fear of persecution. That is what we experience as American Christians, a very unusual amount of freedom and safety from a historical perspective. It's very unusual. And so here's the question. What are we supposed to do with that freedom, with this American opportunity that God has given us? Well, go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. Let's find out. What are we supposed to do? Number one, acknowledge our place of political privilege. Acknowledge our place of political privilege. That's the first thing. Just acknowledge how good we have it as Christians in the USA. And that lots of Christians today have a completely different experience. For example, in China, there are 60 million Christians. And many people believe, analysts believe, that in the next 15 years, China could be the most Christian country on earth by the sheer growth rate. But most of the Christians have to meet in homes or other uh, places because the government places restrictions on the building of churches. And recently, uh, I've read multiple articles about how uh, in China, the government is forcibly removing crosses from the top of churches so that the growth of Christianity is not so visible. And so Chinese Christians, they really face a host of challenges uh, just to practice their faith. In North Korea, right now, at this very moment, there are about 70,000 Christians in concentration camps. I want you to picture concentration camp, like World War II era atrocities, 70,000 Christians right now. That is about the, uh, almost exactly the sold out seating capacity of NRG Stadium where the Houston Texans play. Right now, 70,000 Christians are praying in that context, starving, worshiping, crying, seeking the Lord in those horrific conditions. And then you have places like Iraq and Syria, which, by the way, are some of the most ancient Christian communities in the world, because guess what? It started over there. Those Christian communities have been decimated by ISIS. Just because they're Christians, they're killed. I want you to look at a map. Uh, this is a map um, from an incredible organization called Voice of the Martyrs. All of the countries in red are places where the governments are restrictive of Christianity or openly hostile to it. That's a lot of the world. That's a lot. And so we have to acknowledge that we're in a politically privileged place uh, in the United States, a nation that vigilantly protects uh, our freedom to be Christians. But what's crazy is that all the nations on that map 
what they are experiencing as Christians is closer to what the New Testament church experienced than what we experience. It's absolutely a lot closer to that. And it's in line with what Jesus predicted would happen. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted. Stop right there. Blessed, blessed are you if you're persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, underline that, when. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is saying that if you are a Christ follower, you will experience persecution of some sort. Now in America, that tends to be quite mild, okay? Maybe somebody thinks you're a little weird or posts something snarky on Facebook about it, okay? But there are Christians living in real persecution and and suffering right now around the world, and Jesus calls them blessed for going through that. And he says that they will reap a reward in heaven for going through that. And frankly, as American Christians, we're not really eligible for that reward because we don't face that kind of persecution. So what can we do about this? How can we respond as Americans? This is your next fill-in. Stand with the persecuted church. Stand with the persecuted church. And you can do this a couple different ways. Uh, Number one, your first bullet point there, pray for them. Just pray for those Christians who are suffering. They're out there around the globe. Look at Hebrews 13.3. It says, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated, and underline the rest of this, as if you yourselves were suffering. So just cultivate an awareness in your personal prayer life of those who are suffering for Christ. Just remember them. Pray for them. And I would actually encourage you to do this with your whole family so that your kids can begin to develop that perspective of how good we have it here and the responsibility to be aware of and pray for uh, the suffering church around the, around the world. Another thing you can do is get involved with Voice of the Martyrs. Get invo- involved with Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, amazing organization. They're the ones that produced that map that I showed you a minute ago. They work to uh, move Bibles into restricted countries. They also provide support and encouragement uh, for families who are dealing with persecution or maybe have a loved one in prison um, because of persecution. And uh, that, the Hebrews verse 13 that I just uh, had you look at is actually the basis of Voice of the Martyrs ministry. So as Americans, we have to stand shoulder to shoulder with the persecuted church. Christians around the globe who are suffering under governments who do not protect their religious freedom like ours here in America. There's something else we have to do with our American opportunity. Number two, recognize our place of financial privilege. Recognize our place of financial privilege. Do you realize that we live in one of the most prosperous communities in history? I mean, we live in one of the most prosperous communities in one of the most prosperous nations on earth. Now, that doesn't mean we all feel rich all the time. Okay, I get that. It costs a lot to live here. Um, but, you know, it, and if you're buried in bills and debt and that kind of thing, it certainly doesn't feel like you're rich. I get that. Um, But compared to how most Christians have lived throughout history and are living today, we are rich. I mean, we're not really worrying about where our next meal is coming from. And that's part of our identity as American Christians. God has entrusted us with more of his kingdom resources than most of the rest of the world. 
And so what are we supposed to do with that? Support those in need. That's your next fill-in. Support those in need. Just use the resources God has given you to make an impact. Now, I want to look at a a couple verses from Romans. Uh, Romans is a letter from the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was uh, one of the key leaders in the first century church. And he was writing to a group of Christians in the city of Rome. That's why it's called Romans. And so he wrote this letter. It was a real letter, by the way. And in this letter, he's making some personal remarks at the end, and he is updating the Roman Christians on kind of like how some of the other churches are doing. And so look what he says. He says, I am on my way to Jerusalem in service of the saints there. And he just means Christians when he says saints. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So here's what's going on. The churches in Macedonia and Achaia, which are in Greece, they had given money to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. And Paul is telling the church in Rome about this so that hopefully they would be inspired by that and do the same thing. So how can we do this kind of thing today? What does this look like for us? A couple of ways you can do this. These are your next two bullet points. Reach out locally. Reach out locally. And there are plenty of ways to use the financial resources God has blessed us with to reach out locally. For example, I'll give you a couple of organizations you could look at. Lunches of Love. Okay, it's an organization in Rosenberg that figured out years ago that there were all these kids in the community whose only real meal that they could rely on was their school lunch. Well, guess what happened over the summer? A lot of these kids didn't eat. And so they started this program of making lunches for these kids who really need um, good nutrition. And they just recently made their one millionth lunch. I mean, they've been doing this for years. Great organization to get involved in. Um, Another one would be Katie Christian Ministries, KCM, here in town. Uh, They run a food pantry. They also have um, social services and abuse center that they make available. It'd be a great uh, organization to partner with locally. The second thing is reach out globally. Reach out globally, and you can do that from here in town, right here in Houston. Um, a couple other organizations to think about. Love 146, many of you are aware of Love 146. They work to end um, human trafficking and child slavery around the world, but they also work here in Texas uh, substantially because Houston is a hub in this part of the world of human trafficking. And so they do amazing work, and you can partner with them. Uh, another one to think about would be World Vision. It's an amazing organization that uh, allows you to sponsor children in poor communities around the world, and uh, those children get education and nutrition, and they get raised uh, out of poverty, and their entire community. World Vision works to bring their whole community um, out of poverty, and my wife and I have supported World Vision kids for years, and it's been a huge blessing uh, to us to see see what um, they've been able to do in those communities. And then here's one more. Again, these are just a few examples. This is one you may not be aware of. It's called Wycliffe Bible Translators. There are about 7,000 languages spoken in the world. That's a lot. Do you know how many of those languages have a Bible translation available? Less than half. Less than half, about 48%. There are over 3,000 languages today with no Bible translation available. And so Wycliffe missionaries go into those communities, do the painstaking work of actually learning the local language, and that can take years. In many cases, developing a written language when there might not even exist a written language, and then making the Bible available. And, and it takes support uh, to be able to do that. It's a great organization to be involved in. Again, a few examples for you. There are tons of ways to reach out locally and globally, and to take seriously your place of financial privilege as an American a Christian, to take seriously the idea that God has given you a bigger piece of the pie of his kingdom resources than most other Christians in history. I mean, that's reality.
One last thing on how we can fully leverage our American opportunity. Number three, develop a global perspective on the church. Develop a global perspective on the church. You know, this is the one thing that will fuel the other two points. If you want to have that perspective of financial and political privilege, uh, develop a global perspective on the church. Uh, for example, let me give you a few things that'll, that'll maybe uh, let you know about a little bit of what Christianity looks like around the world. Uh, today, there are more Christians in China attending church than in all of Europe. Uh, today, there are more Anglican Christians in Kenya than all of the US, Canada, and England combined. Uh, there are more Roman Catholics worshiping today in the Philippines than any other single country. There are 15,000 missionaries in England sent there from African and Asian nations to share Christ with England. 15,000 of them right now. And the largest chapter of Jesuit Catholics in the world is in India. So here's what all that means. Europe and America are not the center of world Christianity in terms of size and growth rate. It's not. It may have been at one time, but it is not now. Um, the center is actually Asia, Latin America, and Africa. Yet we as Americans have the most freedom, much more freedom than most of these countries, and the most financial resources. And so God has entrusted us with this incredible amount of blessing and responsibility that goes with it to fuel his global church. Look at Ephesians 6.18. It says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and underline the rest of this. Always keep on praying for all the saints. So what Paul is getting at there is be aware of the global church. Be aware of the Christians around the world. And we as Americans have to adopt the global perspective on the church to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe to use our American opportunity that God has given us, our, our political and financial privilege to support God's work here and everywhere. And we are uniquely positioned as Americans to do that, to fulfill God's purpose for the global church, to spread the love of Jesus Christ around the globe like nobody else can. Like nobody else can. And the world needs us as Americans to adopt that global perspective because everybody on earth needs a savior. Everybody. I mean, when Jesus came to this earth, he thought of every person in every country for all time. And God's justice demanded that the sins of the whole world be dealt with. And Jesus said, I'll take that on. I will pay the penalty for that, for any sin anybody's ever committed or will commit, any sin I've ever committed or will commit. Jesus took that on and literally nailed the sins of the world to the cross so that there would be nothing that would prevent us from having a relationship with God, so that when we stand before God one day, when we meet him, he will look at us and say, that person placed their trust in Christ and his sacrifice on their behalf, therefore, we're square. Come on into heaven. Jesus did that for everybody around the globe. Everybody needs a savior. And if you, if you have not begun a relationship with Christ, I would encourage you to do that today. There's a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes. I'll give you some time uh, at the end of the message to pray that, to ask God to forgive you and to save you. And he will. He promises to do that. Um, so if you haven't, I'll give you some time to do that in a minute. Look, God is calling all of us to him. Um, 
He's calling his church to change the world. And we as Americans who live in the greatest country ever in history, we have been given an unusual number of of blessings and an unusual amount of freedom. And God is calling us to use them to fulfill his mission around the globe, to build his kingdom. That is our American opportunity. The question is, will we embrace it? Will we view today as the beginning of something, just like the founders viewed the Declaration of Independence as the beginning of something? Will we view today as a start that we adopt a global perspective and work to help fulfill God's purpose for the world? Will we look at the injustices of the world and the suffering of Christians across the globe and say, I will face that. I will take that on. I'll use the gifts God has given me as an American Christian to fulfill his purposes for the global church. So I leave you with one question. What will you do with your American opportunity? Go ahead and pull out your connection card. And let's ask God to help us take some next steps. How about this first one? God, I'm asking you to help me be aware of the persecuted church and pray for them regularly with my family. Would you make that choice to just start that process, thinking about the Christians who are suffering, and pray for them? God hears our prayers, and he acts on them. Would you pray for the persecuted church? Number two, show me how I can reach out locally. Would you check that box? Make the decision to impact your community for Christ. And if you check that box, I'll send you an email with links to some of these organizations I mentioned and some others as well that you can think and pray about getting involved with. How about number three? Show me how I can reach out globally. You can do that from right here in Houston. Check that box, same thing. I'll send you some uh, links on how you can get involved. Number four, cultivate in me a global perspective on the church. Would you make that decision to ask God to just cultivate that for you? A global perspective on his kingdom. And then number five, help me memorize Hebrews 13.3. This is a great verse to have memorized on the idea of having a global perspective. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. You want to think about the persecuted church? Memorize that verse. And then number six, God, I'm asking you to save me as I pray the prayer to become a Christ follower for the first time in my life. If that's you, if you want to become a Christ follower today, check that box because we're going to send you some information in the mail to help you and give you some uh, first steps in your exciting new life um, following Christ. But I'm going to give you some time in just a moment to pray that prayer. Uh, and to become a Christ follower. But I want everybody in here now to bow your heads. Everybody in this room, bow your heads. We're gonna take some time to just ask God to, um, to change our hearts and to show us how to use our American opportunity for his purposes. So take a few moments now. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. That you were not going to allow the separation between us and you because of our sin stay in place, Lord, but 
that you came to earth to save us. And Lord, I thank you for the blessings that you have given us as Americans. You have allowed us to be born into the greatest country ever in history. And you've given us the political and financial advantages that come with that. And I pray, Lord, that you would show us what it means to use those for your purposes, for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.